you're so able, if you would stand for the reading of God's Word. 1 Samuel 18 and verse number 5. Brother Joe, I believe the monitors on the platform, our volume got kicked down, so if you could help me out with that, that would be great. Look at verse 5. The Bible says, And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him, and behaved himself wisely, and Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Look down at verse number 12. Verse number 12, the Bible says, And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. Look down at verse 14. Verse 14, And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Wherefore, when Saul saw that he behaved himself very wisely, he was afraid of him. And look down at verse number 30. 1 Samuel 18, look at verse 30. The Bible says, Then the princes of the Philistines went forth, and it came to pass after they went forth that David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was much set by. He became the standard of wise behavior. His name was much set by. The title of the sermon tonight, as you may have guessed, based on the handful of verses we just read, David behaved himself wisely. David behaved himself wisely. Uh, I believe everyone here can glean something from the message this evening, but a sermon like this is especially aimed at our children and our youth. David was a young man, I believe somewhere between the ages of 18 and 22. That's my speculation. And uh, David would advance quickly because of his wise behavior. And uh, I want that to be said about the young people of this church, that they behave themselves wisely. I want that to be said about me, that I behave myself wisely. Amen? And so let's, uh, we're going to look at this passage tonight and try to draw some truths out about David's behavior and see how uh, we can uh, go forth and, and live accordingly. Let's pray. Lord, we pray tonight that you would help us as we look at this chapter of Scripture and do our best to Uh, Lord, understand the context of which it's given, and then, Lord, make applications that are practical to our lives. Help us to have hearts that are tender, and, Lord, show us how we can mimic some of this behavior of David, this wise behavior of David. May we be committed to being people that are walking with you and living according uh, to your presence. May it be said of us that the Lord is with us the way it was said of David. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You You may be seated. Well, any time the Bible speaks, we should sit up and pay attention because it's God's perfect and holy word. But when the Bible repeats itself, it doesn't do so uh, for any other reason than emphasis. There's emphasis being put on what's repeated, and God is trying to call our attention to a a, a very uh, important truth. The Bible says four times in this one chapter that David behaved himself wisely. Now, uh, you may remember uh, in chapter 16 that David was anointed by Samuel to be Israel's next king. We looked at the sermon from anonymous to anointed. Remember, he was on the backside uh, of the of the fields, uh, in the middle of nowhere, keeping his father's sheep. No one really knew who he was outside of his family. Samuel shows up looking to anoint uh, Israel's next king, and Samuel's not, or David's not even invited to the dinner. He's left out in the field. Uh, he's so far down the pecking order. David's not even considered. And after each young man presents himself to Samuel, and God rejects each one, Samuel looks at David, or, uh, rather Jesse, and says. Do, do you not have another son? Well, we do have one more. He's in the field taking care of the sheep. And lo and behold, David comes and, and he kneels before Samuel. And the horn of oil is poured over his head. And David is anointed to be the next king of Israel. From anonymous 
to anoint it. And then later on in chapter 16, uh, we know that Saul's tr- spirit is troubled by, uh, by a, 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 an angel, or rather by an evil spirit. And uh, his spirit is troubled by an evil spirit. And so uh, counsel is given to Saul that someone come and play a harp and soothe his spirit. And lo and behold, David, uh, uh, word of David gets out and David is brought into the palace. And David plays his harp. And uh, as you remember, his spirit is soothed, and then comes the season of war. Uh, Israel is going to go to war with the Philistines, so David is sent back home to his father. David's three older brothers are chosen to go to war, and there is a 30-day standoff in chapter 17 where uh, the Gath uh, the, the, the giant of Gath, Goliath, marches out and challenges the Israelites. David is sent on an errand by his dad to check up on his brothers and see how everything is. And lo and behold, David finds himself in the valley, mano a mano, toe-to-toe with the giant. And with great preparation and great practice, he takes that rock and he slings it and he hits the giant right in the head. And, and uh, the giant falls over and then David takes the sword of Goliath and off with his head, the, the, the giant is killed, and God gives Israel a great victory over uh, the um, uh, Philistines. And then uh, Saul says to his, his right-hand man, Abner, he says, Who is this young man? Uh, tell me more about him. And so they go and get David. And David is brought into Saul's tent, and David is still holding on to Goliath's head in his hand. He comes walking in with a decapitated head uh, of, of the uh, giant there. And uh, Saul says, who are you? And he says, I am the son of thy servant Jesse. And chapter 18, the beginning of chapter 18, tells us that David is not allowed to go home. David is kept in the palace. And Jonathan falls in love in a in a in above board godly manner, Jonathan falls in love with David, and the two of them become uh, a knit at their souls. The Bible tells us uh, they became very 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 close to the place where they made a covenant together that they would never betray one another. David did not have any uh, uh, clothing that belo- would would allow him to exist in the in the um, uh, uh, in the courts of of Saul, so his father. So he takes his own clothing and his own sword and his own girdle and he gives those things to David and uh, uh, Jonathan knows that David is going to be the next king and Jonathan is totally comfortable with that as we'll see in a few minutes uh, Saul his father would not be comfortable with that now we look at chapter 18 chapter 18 and we see this phrase four times that David behaved himself wisely David behaved himself wisely let me ask you a question in both your public life and your private life. If we were to put your public life and private life down on paper, could it be said of you that you behave yourself wisely? That you behave yourself wisely in all your ways. What a strong, strong statement for uh, the Bible to make about an individual. And as we'll see in a moment, David is going to be put in positions that absolutely destroy most young people, but did not destroy David. Verse 5 of of 1 Samuel 18, and again, I'm I'm giving you more of the bird's eye view of the chapter. And, And those of you that like very practical Let me encourage you to try to write as many of these things down as you can. Maybe flip that half sheet over and write these down. I wrote down, I write these things down. I wrote down several behaviors that I observe out of David in this chapter. Verse 5, I see four behaviors just out of verse 5. I see that he worked hard. He worked hard. Uh, I see that he was obedient. Um, uh, What other behaviors out of verse 5? He was agreeable. Both the servants of Saul and uh, the people of Israel loved him, uh, adored him. He was agreeable, but not only was he agreeable, he was kind. I see those four behaviors just out of verse number 5. Uh, uh, verse number 6, I see that David was patriotic toward his country. And verse 11, I see that he was forgiving. He was forgiving. We'll see that in, in a few minutes here. Verse 14 and 15, I see that David was a man of high 
character. High character. It's been said reputation is what people think you are. Character is what God knows that you are, right? David, uh, God knew that David was a man of high character. And that's laid out in verses 14 and 15. Verse 18, we see that he is humble. He is a man who is unassuming and humble. Verse 27, we see that he is thorough. His behavior is that of one who is Thorough, and also in verse 27, we see that David goes the extra mile. He goes the extra mile. And uh, we find David is a man who is very well-mannered. He is very well-behaved. The Bible says that he behaved himself wisely. Why was David a man who behaved himself wisely? Well, the Bible tells us again the secret to young David's success. Look at verse number 12. Look at 1 Samuel 18 and look at verse number 12. And here we find the secret to David's good behavior. The Bible says, And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him. Because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. Look at verse 14. And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. Look down at verse 28. Look down at verse 28. Again, and Saul uh, saw and knew that the Lord was with David. The Lord was with David. And that Michael, uh, or Michal, however you choose to pronounce it, Saul's daughter loved him. He had the presence of God with him. Here's the secret to David's success. Here's why David behaved himself uh, wisely, and as Saul observed, very wisely, because the Lord was with him. Uh, uh, David was walking lock, step, with the Lord. Lock, step, with the Lord. How, how many of you here have ever participated in a three-legged race? A three-legged race? All right, how many of you have ever fallen flat on your face in a three-legged race, right? Brother Sean and I did a three-legged race last fall, and the nylon that got tied around our, our legs broke, right? But we didn't fall over, all right? Did we win? Well, we were first to cross the finish line, but we didn't deserve to win. Um, a three-legged race is the idea that your inner foot is lockstep with the other person with you and that you're able to do it at the fastest speed within the competition. And listen, God is not worried about the speed at which you walk. He wants you to walk lockstep with Him and to be subservient to Him. And what does the word Lord even mean? The Bible says the Lord was with Him. Do you know why the Lord was was with David. The Lord was with David because David was willing to make himself subservient to whatever the Lord told him to do. When we're willing to obey, Miss Callie played for our offertory this evening a, a hymn that I just adore, the hymn Trust and Obey. Trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And someone said, can you sum up the Christian life in a phrase? And I would sum it up in the phrase, trust and obey. Trust and obey. If you can learn how to trust the Lord and obey the Lord, you are going to be a top-notch, top-tier Christian uh, for as long as you're breathing air in and out of your lungs. Trust and obey. Trust and obey. David behaved himself wisely because the Lord was with him. We have to stop and ask the question, why was the Lord with him? And the answer to that question is very, very simple. David was willing to obey the Lord. David was willing to be subservient to whatever God told him to do. And in essence, he became filled with God's power, he became filled with God's might, and he became filled with God's wisdom. Now, David, who was um, somewhere most likely between the ages of 17 and 22, was thrust into a leadership role and, and he handled it maturely. David was thrust into the spotlight and given instant fame and he handled it Humbly, David was thrust into the politics of the king's castle and handled it discreetly and respectfully. David had women singing his praises, yet he handled it purely. Why? Because the Lord was with him. I propose this evening that you and I can behave ourselves wisely in any and all situations where we, when we learn to submit ourselves to God and live in His presence and live by His presence, whether Satan dangles defeat or success in front of you, you can behave yourself wisely and please the Lord with your Choices. We live in a world full of selfish people making selfish choices. What we need are men and women who will behave themselves 
wisely. Let's look at three thoughts this evening as we observe how David behaved himself wisely. Number one, number one, notice his advancement in Israel. His advancement in Israel. Let me quickly give you, let here, give you here a letter A and a letter B. We see letter A, his promotion. His promotion. Look down at verse number 5. Let's begin to unpack this here. The Bible says, And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him. There we see a an obedient behavior, an obedient behavior, a hard-working behavior. He went out whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now, this is amazing to me. Remember in chapter 17 when, uh, when, when Saul put his armor on David? And he had, a, he had a shield, and he had a breastplate, and he had a sword. And the Bible, uh, David looked at Saul and he said, I've not proven these. I can't use these. I know nothing about these. How ignorant was David at warfare? So ignorant that he did not even know how to pick up the weapons that the army used and use them himself. In chapter 18, no doubt just a few months or at the most a year or two later, God is thrusting, Saul is thrusting David not into the army, not into the special forces, but he is putting him as a field general in charge of soldiers. Now listen, that, there's a learning curve with any leadership position that you're given. This was a steep learning curve for David. Uh, he was taken as a young man and put over men of war who were seasoned veterans. And the Bible says that he handled it well and that the men of the army respected him. He was promoted just like that. And in his promotion, the men accepted him. What must have been going through David's mind? He had gone from shepherd boy in the backwoods to general in the Israeli army. Uh, He knows, in the back of his mind, he knows that he's been anointed to be Israel's next king. He's watching his stock rise. You know what would have been going through my mind? I wonder when it's going to happen. I wonder when I'm going to go and take Saul's place. I wonder how God's going to orchestrate this. Little did David know that he was going to be chased all over the wilderness for years. And he would be a refuge on the run. And he would be hunted. And he would be a prey for years. His time was not yet, but he was enjoying this promotion as a young man. We see not only his promotion, but letter B, his popularity. Look at verse number 5 again. And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war. Look here. And he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. David was so popular that everywhere he went, people loved him. Now, this is impressive. The rugged warrior on the battlefield accepted David. The peasants of Israel accepted David. Um, Even the king's bureaucrats accepted David, right? Uh, Joe on the street. Remember uh, Joe who likes to stick his finger in the politician's face and ask him a tough question? We've seen that happen in a few elections. And uh, Joe on the street might be a folk hero and loved by the commoner, but generally is rejected by the elitists of Washington. And uh, those who are embraced by the elitists of Washington often are rejected by uh, the commoner on the street. And here David is uh, uh, beloved in the castle, beloved among the council of Saul, and he's beloved by the battle of men that are grizzled veterans of war, and he's beloved by the commoner on the street. David has found a way to get everyone to embrace him, everyone to love him. He's gone from being a no one, and in just a short time, he has become the most popular man in Israel. Look at verse 6, and the Bible says, And it came to pass as they came, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet uh, King Saul with tabrets, with joy, with instruments of music. And the women answered and uh, one another as they played and said, Saul hath slain his thousands 
and David his tens of thousands. That was a pathetic imitation, amen? Thank you for agreeing me, agreeing with me on how pathetic I am. All right. And my stock is sinking. All right. Um, uh, his pop, so David here, David here is coming from war. Uh, Saul has gone out to war as well. Uh, Abner, no doubt, was there. And, and David's just over a small section of the army. And Abner's over more of the army. Saul is ultimately in charge. And Saul is giving Abner orders. And Abner's giving David and the other generals orders. But David is so popular in Israel after having slain Goliath and uh, becoming a general in the army. So popular that as they're riding home from war. Now, here's what would have happened. All right, you're, you're at war and, and, and you're fighting. And, and, and you have your victory, and, and now it's time to head back toward headquarters, head back toward the capital. And what they would do is they would divert their route and find their way through small towns and villages that would have surrounded where they were fighting so they could enjoy ticker tape parades and so that the people could sing their praises and they could enjoy a meal with the commoners and uh, the peasants of the day. And so here they come riding through town. Saul has done this many times before. He's gone out to war. He's seen victory. He's heading home. He's hearing his name uh, uh, sung. He's hearing praises sung. And this time they get into town. And what do the ladies say? They say, Saul hath slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. We'll look at how Saul handled that in just a moment. But right now what I want you to see is that David was very, very, very popular in Israel. David, his popularity had grown to such a level, it had climaxed at such a level that David was the hero of the country. And uh, I just want to take a moment and observe that the only way David survived this moment of popularity is that he had to have behaved himself very wisely. Someone once said that, Failure has slain its thousands, and success its tens of thousands. How many of you have seen people be lifted up in pride only to see them land flat on their face figuratively? All right? Uh, be careful about that. Be careful about that. And this is exactly what had happened to Saul. Remember, he was found hiding amongst the stuff and was humble and did not want to be the king. And uh, he took over the kingship because God had chosen him, not because he wanted to. And at the beginning of Saul's reign, he was humble, but then he began to see success. And in his success, he was lifted up in pride. And in his pride, God had torn the kingdom away from him. God had ripped it away from him. And now uh, Saul has fallen flat on his face. And we see Saul on the decline as David is on the rise. Why? Because Saul had behaved himself poorly while David is behaving himself wisely. And in his popularity, he did not let it go to his head. I see many, many people become popular and it destroy them. I see many, many young people find fame, and the next thing you know, they're checking themselves into drug rehab centers, and uh, they're having a hard time with life, and uh, they they have babies, all kinds of babies out of wedlock, and they've picked up all kinds of diseases, and they've got all of these struggles. Why? Because too much popularity found them too fast, and fame is not all it's cracked up to be. Popularity is not all it's cracked up to be, and we see David found popularity but that popularity did not destroy him. Why? Because he behaved himself wisely. Number uh, Letter A, we see his promotion. Letter B, his popularity. Letter C, we see his proper perspective. His proper perspective. Look down at verse 23. Verse 23, And Saul's servants spoke those words in the ears of David. And David said, Seemeth it to you a light thing to be a king's son-in-law? Here's David's perspective of himself. Seeing that I am a poor man and lightly esteemed lightly esteemed we'll get the backstory of this verse in a moment but here david is being offered a potential chance to be the king's son-in-law and david says about himself what does he say i am a poor man and i am lightly esteemed david is saying in the grand scheme of things if i could use american vernacular here he's saying i'm a little nobody nothing 
I'm just a little nobody nothing. I, I, I know that they're singing my praises in the streets. And I know that I've been put in charge of, uh, of, of some of the army. And I know that my stock is rising. And I know I'm anointed to be Israel's next king. But in the grand scheme of who God is and who I am, I am a little nobody nothing. Who is man that thou art mindful of him? And the Son of Man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. And uh, uh, where do we get those verses from the mouth of David in Psalm chapter 8. He said, When I consider the heaven, the moon, and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man? David says, I am a little nobody, nothing. Christian, don't let success go to your head. Don't let promotion puff you up. Don't become drunk on popularity. Learn how to behave yourself wisely. Number one, we see his advancement in Israel. Number two, we see his admiration of authority, his admiration of authority. One of the most underrated parts of David's character is the respect he showed authority even when they didn't deserve it, even when they didn't deserve it. How important was this admiration of authority by King David? Understand that this attribute of David set a precedent in Judah that would never, ever, ever be taken down. In fact, if you go to the ten northern tribes of Israel after the split, there were many mutinies where they would kill the king and put someone else in. But did you know that in Judah, on David's throne, in the uh, preceding kings, not one time was the king killed by an insider to replace him. Why? Because David established this thought of, I will... I will reverence and I will respect God's choice of leader and I will not throw stones, I will not criticize, I will not kill when the opportunity is presented to me. Listen, it was very obvious to David that Saul was not a good man. It was very obvious to David that Saul was troubled with an evil spirit, but never one time do you find Saul saying anything negative about the king. Because David, while he may not have respected the the character of Saul, he respected the position of Saul. I, I, I won't chase this rabbit far, but I just want to say, Christians, be very careful about what you say about political leaders in this country. The Bible tells us in Romans that they are put there by God. Put there by God. Are they corrupt? And the question, my question back to you is this. Was Saul corrupt? Was Saul corrupt? Did David criticize Saul? No, David admired the position that Saul held, and David did not throw a single stone in the direction of Saul. In fact, David followed Saul. Christian, you be very careful. I'm all for political discourse, whether it's President Trump, President Biden, President Obama, President Bush. I'm all for political discourse. I'm all for political dissent. I'm all for expressing a political opinion different than the, uh, that of whoever is in the White House. But you make sure that you never strike a tone of calling a politician a name or putting him down. Uh, you make sure that you follow David's example of admiring authority. Now listen, I know this kind of preaching makes some people uneasy. Let's let the scriptures show us exactly what I'm talking about. Look at verse 17. 1 Samuel 18 and look at verse 17. The Bible says, And Saul said to David, Behold my eldest daughter Merib, her will I give thee to wife, only be thou valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. Look down at verse 19. And David said unto Saul, Who am I? And what is my life or my father's family in Israel that I should be son-in-law to the king. Who am I that I would be allowed to marry into the king's family? Now, did David have this opinion because Saul was some sort of great leader? No. Did David have this opinion because Saul was worthy of respect and uh, was living a life that was above board? No. David had this opinion because he had admiration for the position of king that Saul held. Look now, uh, take your Bibles over to 1 Samuel chapter 24. We see this pattern of behavior of David respecting authority all throughout the life of Saul when Saul was king. Now, by the way, before we read 1 Samuel 24, please understand that um, uh, David is a fugitive of the law. He's a fugitive, and who is trying to kill him? 
his father-in-law, Saul. We'll see in a little bit that he does end up marrying one of the king's daughters. And now he is related to the king. The king hates him and wants him dead. The king is chasing him around, trying to kill him. And we're going to look at one of the two instances here in 1 Samuel 24. Twice David could have killed Saul. Twice David could have ended Saul's reign. But instead, David said, I will not do that. This is the Lord's anointed. Look at 1 Samuel 24 and look at verse 1. And it came to pass when Saul was returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Uh, then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. And he came to the sheep coats. By the way, there was a cave. And Saul went in to cover his feet. And David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. And the men of David said unto him, Behold, the day of which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand, that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. Then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privily, and it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt. And he said unto his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth mine hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. Now, um, I don't like to speak about things that are crass. I, and, and there's a couple of crass stories uh, in our uh, uh, scripture reading tonight, and I'll, I will do my best to handle them uh, carefully. But what was going on here? Well, uh, very simply, David and his men were hiding in a cave from Saul, and Saul is pursuing David and does not know that he is right on the heels of David, has no idea, and Saul needed to go to the bathroom. So Saul goes in the cave, and he's going to, he's using the restroom, and David uh, sees him there in the edge of the cave, and Saul is occupied going to the bathroom, and one of Saul's men says, I can sneak up behind him and give me one shot, and I'll kill him, I'll kill him. You're God's anointed, and then you can step in and become king. Give me one shot. And David says, nope, I'll do it. And so he slips up behind Saul, and instead of killing him, he very carefully takes out his knife, and he cuts off his, his robe. He cuts off his clothing from the waist down. And so now Saul has to walk out of the cave embarrassed. And what? how much did he cut off? Was it the outer garment? Was it all of the garments? Scripture doesn't say, but uh, sure enough, Saul slips out of the cave and gets a ways away, and now David comes out of the cave, and he realizes that what he's done is wrong, because he has embarrassed the Lord's anointed. He has humiliated the Lord's Anointed. A second time, David had every opportunity to kill Saul in his sleep, and he would not do it. Why? Because he behaved himself wisely. He had admiration uh, for uh, authority. Turn over to Second Samuel chapter one. Second Samuel one, uh, the last, sap, uh, last chapter of First Samuel. Uh, uh, Saul dies in war. In fact, Saul is wounded in war, and he orders one of his men to kill him. And uh, uh, that, that young man, that armor bearer of Saul, won't do it. And so uh, De, uh, Saul draws out his own sword, and he falls on his sword. And Saul dies by way of suicide. He kills himself. And an Amalekite happens upon uh, the the. Uh, and sees Saul dead and he runs to find David and he's going to take credit for having killed Saul thinking that this will bring him good. Look at verse number 13 of 2 Samuel 1. 1 through 12 is the uh, lie that the Amalekite tells. He gives a different account of how Saul died to David and so David is under the understanding that this Amalekite has killed Saul. And uh, listen, uh, David, he expects David to heap praise on him and award him for having done so, but oh man, does he find that David's admiration of authority ends up getting a different result. Look at verse 13. And David said unto the young man that told him, Whence art thou? And he answered, I am the son of a stranger and Amalekite. And David said unto him, How wast thou not afraid to stretch forth thine hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? David called one of the young men and said, Go near and fall upon him. And he smote him that he died. David said unto him, Thy blood be upon thy head, for thy mouth hath testified against thee, saying, I have slain the Lord's anointed. 
This man said, I killed him. I took him out. David, you can step in and be king. And David said, no, you don't lay one finger on the man that God anointed to be king. You let God decide when it's time for him to go. Why did David continue to reverence a man who was corrupt? Because that man held a God-ordained position. David behaved himself wisely. Let me just say this uh, right here uh, uh, to everyone in the room. All right, If you're a child in school, a young person in school, Don't you dare get caught up in the trap of complaining about the teachers and the school principal. Don't you fall into that trap. God has allowed them at this time to be your authority. Don't you fall in the trap of joining in with other kids. Hey, are your teachers perfect? No. Because they're sinners. Is your principal perfect? Nope. Because he's a sinner. But I got a dirty little secret for you. Here it is. You ready? You're a sinner too. And you make mistakes too. Do you want the teachers sitting around after school in a dark room with a light talking about how terrible and evil of a student you are? Then maybe you shouldn't be doing that to them. I get sick and tired of hearing people complain about politicians. I am, listen, um, okay, I'm just going to throw this out there. I know this isn't uh, something everyone's going to like. I don't like Fox News. I don't like CNN, MSNBC. You know what they all are? They're partisan politics. Shut the news off. Just turn it off. Oh, well, not my news channel. My news channel shoots it straight. None of them shoot it straight. They all have a slant. They all are selling ads, and they all are just trying to make money. The sooner that you begin to see it through that scope, the happier you'll be. Everybody smile. All right? Everybody all right? Some of you, that's all you do. You come home at night and you turn on your favorite news channel and you're just being indoctrinated. You're being brainwashed and you're only getting one of the sides of the story. You say, well, that makes me angry. Well, if that makes you angry, then politics has become your God. Let God be your God. Amen? Um, uh, I'm not saying it's wrong to know what's going on in the world, uh, but don't be drunk on it. You know what happens when a Republican is in the White House CNN and MSNBC run 24-hour coverage on everything he does wrong. You know what happens when a Democrat's in the White House? Fox News runs 24-hour coverage on why everything they're doing is wrong. I'm seeing a trend here. Amen? I'm seeing an unhealthiness in our country here. Again, I'm not against political discourse. I'm not against that. Uh, You should go to the ballot box and vote your biblical conscience. I said vote your biblical conscience. And uh, don't vote by your wallet. Vote your biblical conscience. But listen, uh, uh, we must do a better job of not calling any authority figure names. Uh, On a more practical level, don't get caught up at the work table running your boss down. I had a job in Aberdeen, Maryland, where I was driving a, a, a pallet uh, truck and, and building um, a produce pallets to go to the grocery stores and back-breaking type labor. And uh, we would go up into the lunchroom and uh, we'd have our lunch break. And you know what these guys would do? They'd sit around and talk about the man who ran the plant. And they would say, he works 80 hours a week. I heard he's got a terrible marriage and can't stand his wife, so he just hangs out at work all day. Well, like, do you go home and see him fight with his wife? How do you know that? Maybe his wife is working 80 hours. Whatever. It's none of your business. Amen? God gives you an authority figure. You respect that authority figure. And listen, healthy things happen. Lastly on this, before we move on to point three. We're really good at throwing stones at everyone else's weaknesses. We're not so good at looking in the mirror and identifying our own weaknesses. You know the old adage, right? When you point a finger at someone, you got one, two, three, three, not four. That one's pointing up, amen? Three coming back at you, right? You got three coming back at you. You're pointing the finger at someone else. I really believe this wholeheartedly. The way to fix America is not by fixing Washington the way to fix America is, or, or Connecticut is not by fixing Hartford. The way to fix uh, uh, the city you live in is not by fixing the mayor's office. The way by fixing uh, this country, this state, 
and this city and this church is by you fixing you. You fix you. You get busy fixing yourself. If we would fix leadership on a micro level, leadership on a macro level would fix itself. Number two, his, ad, his admiration of authority. Number three, notice his adversity from King Saul. Saul did not make it easy on David. Saul had been told the kingdom is going to be taken from you and given to someone else. And uh, Saul uh, was able in this chapter to positively identify who that person was. And uh, boy, that created a lot of friction between David and Saul. We see letter A, Saul's resentment. Saul's resentment. I gave you point two prior to point three. I I gave you these truths in this order for this reason. I want to lay down the foundation that even though all of these things we're about to look at in chapter 18 happened to David, David remained respectful. David continued to admire authority. Look at verse 7. Look at verse 7. The Bible says, And the the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul hath slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very wroth, and the saying displeased him, and and said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day and forward. Saul was not only jealous of David, he became envious. Envious. He began to view David as a threat to take his throne. Saul was insecure. Saul was insecure. And for good reasons. Samuel had promised the kingdom would be torn away from his family and given to another man, and it was becoming obvious that that man was David. Now, a secure leader hears these chants and just goes, eh, it's just some ladies singing some nonsensical song in the perch of their home. And he goes on to his palace and he lives his life. But these songs sung by these ladies continued to be repeated in his head over and over and over again. And every time he thought about that song, those ladies sang, jealousy turned to envy, turned to hatred, that turned to a plot to have David killed. Letter A, we see Saul's resentment. Letter B, we see Saul's rage. Saul's rage. Now we saw back in 1 Samuel 16, that when Saul was troubled by the evil spirit, that David was brought in to play his harp, and that would soothe Saul's spirit. And so that troubled spirit comes right on the heels of this song. Watch this. Jealousy brings about an oppression of an evil spirit on our lives. Be careful of the green-eyed monster of jealousy. It will ruin your life. And we see it's ruining Saul's life. It's ruining his spirit. Verse 9, we see he's eyeing David from that day forward. Look at verse 10. And it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied in the midst of the house. And David played with his hand, as at other times. And there was a javelin in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the javelin, for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. Twice. Where do we see a behavior of forgiveness? The fact that David was willing to walk back in there after the first time. Boy, you're, you, you are being forgiving toward the king. That man tried to pin you to the wall and you'd go back in a second time and play your harp. And what did Saul do? He's got his javelin in the, maybe in a pot of soil right next to his side. He quickly picks it up and launches it like a missile at uh, David. And what happens? David's able to dodge it and get out of the way. Saul is angry. Saul is in a rage. Saul is throwing a javelins at David, trying to kill him. When someone is filled with envy, they act in ways that are irrational. They deal with anger. And anger is nothing more than temporary insanity. Saul's resentment, Saul's rage. Letter C, notice Saul's ruse. Saul's ruse. The word ruse means conspiracy. He conspired to have 
David killed. Saul is conspiring to have David killed indirectly. Look at verse 13. We see the ruse at play here. Verse 13. Therefore Saul removed him from him and made him his captain over a thousand, and he went out and came in before the people. Now notice here that uh, Saul is angry at David. He wants David dead. But instead of demoting David, he promotes David. He promotes him from a field general to now he's a captain in the military. Instead of overseeing a few hundred soldiers, now he's seeing overseeing a thousand soldiers. And you think, well, that is a peculiar decision to take if you're jealous and envious towards someone. Well, we see exactly why Saul was doing this to David. Look down at verse 19. But it came to pass at that time when Merib, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, that she was given unto Adriel the, let's see here, Maholathite, there it is, to wife. And Michal, Saul's daughter, loved David, and they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. And Saul said, here we see the gears turning, and Saul said, I will give him her, that she may be a snare to him, and the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Wherefore Saul said to David, Thou shalt this day be my son-in-law in the one of the twain. Saul wanted David dead. He thought that if he could somehow ensnarl him in battle, put him in the heat of the war, that he would be killed. And then, that problem is gone. I can hand the kingdom to Jonathan, my son. My name will be established and I can circumvent God's plan to make David king. Unfortunately, David would learn this same tactic years later in the book of 2 Samuel when he would do the same thing to Uriah the Hittite and have him killed. Look down at verse 25. 1 Samuel 18, verse 25. And Saul said, Thus shall ye say to David, The king desireth not in dowry, but in a hundred foreskins of the Philistines to be avenged of the king's enemies. And Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. We see the ruse, the conspiracy, the desire to have him killed. I'll send him out, have him kill a hundred Philistines, and in so doing, this difficult challenge, near impossible challenge, David will die trying to earn the hand of my daughter. Verse 26, And when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law, and the days were not expired. Wherefore David arose and went, he and his men, and slew of the Philistines two hundred men. And David brought their foreskins, and they gave him in full tale to the king that he might be the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him Michal, his daughter, to wife. I'm going to I'm going to skip past the details because I think you all are smart enough to figure it out. But Saul says to David, "Go uh, and kill a 100 Philistines, a 100 of our enemy and bring back evidence that you have done this and then I'll let you marry my daughter and be my son-in-law." And David looks at the clock and he says, "Ah, there's still plenty of daylight left. Let's go get it. Let's go get it done." And instead of killing 100 Philistines, he he, this is the behavior of the second mile. Amen? Read up, Brother Kyle. You're preaching about, teaching about the second mile a little bit, right? He didn't kill 100 Philistines. He killed 200 Philistines and brought the evidence in a bag and dropped it at Saul's feet. Here it is, Saul. All right, where's your daughter? We're going to get married. And uh, listen, Saul was stuck. He had no choice at that point to be a man of his word. Saul is trying to get David killed. But David is behaving himself very wisely, and the Lord is with him. How did Saul handle this? Letter D, we see Saul's response. Saul's response. Look down at verse number 12. The Bible says, And Saul was afraid of David. That's how he responded, with fear. Why? Because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. You see, there was a time when the Lord was with Saul. But Saul had been rebellious and stubborn. And God had torn the kingdom away. And now the Spirit of God did not rest on Saul. The Spirit of God rests on David. And now Saul is afraid of David. Look down at verse 28. Verse 28. And Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David, and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him. And Saul was yet the more afraid of David. The more afraid of David. And Saul became David's enemy continually. 
Then the princes of the Philistines went forth, and it came to pass, after they went forth, that David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was much set by. Saul became afraid of David. Why? Because Saul could not control David. He became afraid of David because he could not eliminate him. He became afraid of David because he could not compare to his courage. God's hand of blessing was on this young man, and as a result, he behaved himself wisely. I want to make a point here before we close out the message, and it's this here. If you're going to behave yourself wisely, you will make enemies. You understand that? There will be people who choose not to like you. There will be people who end up being afraid of you. Let me speak to the tender-hearted children in the room this evening who attend school. If you take a stand for what's right with a gracious spirit, you will make enemies. You will. I had them in school. I've talked to Pastor Andrew, our youth pastor. He had them in school. You will make enemies. There's going to be kids who just don't like you. They belittle you. Hey, you're going to make enemies in the youth group. There's going to be kids in our youth group who decide, you know what, you're too holy for me. You, you, you shoo over there. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to hang out with you. I'll have the rest of the youth group over at my house for my birthday, but you are not invited. You know what, that hurts a little bit. You go to work and you behave yourself wisely and you, you, you love God with all your heart. You very well may make enemies at work. You're going to have some people uh, in your life that just don't like you. You may even have family that push you away and don't want to have anything to do with you because you are behaving yourself wisely. You see, people fear what they cannot control. People fear what they cannot change in you. People fear what they cannot compare to within you. Now, we should never make an enemy based on our disposition, but we should not be afraid to make enemies based on our position. I finish the message with this. Like David, we should behave ourselves wisely by working hard, by obeying authority, by seeking to be agreeable with all men, by being kind, by being patriotic, by being forgiving, uh, by being men and women of high character, by uh, being humble and unassuming, and by being thorough in everything we do, and by going the extra mile. My prayer tonight is that we'll be men and women We'll have a church full of teenagers and young boys and girls that learn to behave themselves wisely. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed this evening. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I don't know which of these behaviors the Lord is working on your heart tonight. But I know this, that I would love God to look down at me and say, right there is a man who behaves himself wisely. He doesn't just behave himself wisely when people are watching. He behaves himself wisely even when they're not. Whether you're a child or a senior citizen, whether you're married or single, whether you're employed or unemployed, whether uh, you are uh, a parent or not, it does not matter what your background is. God calls you to behave yourself wisely. Lord, tonight would you show us where our behaviors are out of line Would you help us to be a people that is committed like David, that no matter success or failure, good or bad, struggles or uh, or easy times, that we would behave ourselves in a way that's pleasing to you. May it be said that the Lord is with him, the Lord is with her, about each one here this evening. Show us, Lord, where we can improve in Jesus' name.